I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome to day two of the ASOS Talks at Graduate Fashion Week. Um, so the subject is young fashion creators doing it for themselves. And on today's panel, we have, starting from that side, we have Kate Bones, who's a photographer and GIF artist. We have Cleo Pepiat, who's a designer. Ioni Gamble, founder of Polyester Zine. Christine Mando, designer. And Susie Bubble, who's a fashion blogger. Um, I was hoping we could start with you guys telling us a bit about yourselves, introduce yourselves and say what you do. Hello, yeah. Hi, Kate. Hi, everyone. I'm Kate Bones. Um, I'm a photographer and I make GIFs. And, um, yeah, and I work with fashion brands and I've just done something with a drinks brand and fizzy drinks and shoes. <laughs> but, uh, and with ASOS, which has been great, yeah. Hello. Uh, so, my name's Cleo. I'm a women's wear designer. I have been, I've had my own brand now for, I'd say, just over two years. I'm just coming up to my third season showing London Fashion Week, so it's taken me a little while. I've kind of built slowly rather than going straight in for it. I also do some custom pieces on the side as an alternative. Um, Hi, I'm Ioni Gamble and I'm the founder of Polyester Zine. Um, I'm also a freelance journalist and write for Dazed primarily, but also publications like ASOS Likes and other things like that. Hi, I'm Christine. Um, I'm the designer for the brand Chia. Um, I've been going for about six years now. Um, mainly I work with prints. Um, it's very much, a, um, the brand is very much tells the story um, um, basically, it's my brand focuses on um, my background, which is Tanzanian-born and raised in London. So I just fuse the two to tell the story about the brand, basically. Hi, I'm Susie. Um, I write a fashion blog called Style Bubble. I've been writing it for the last decade, so I'm older than most of you. Um, I did work at Dazed for a little while as well as their commissioning editor of the website, and now currently I am freelance journalist, consultant, kind of all around everything. So how did you guys first decide what it was you wanted to do? Was there a light bulb moment or was it something you came, was it something that evolved over time? Should, should I start because it's on. chronological yeah. order? Because <laughs> I started so yeah. long ago, it takes me a while to remember. <laughs> um, no, so I started working in advertising when I uh, graduated. I didn't study fashion at all, I didn't come from a fashion background. Um, but fashion was always something that was kind of I saw as a hobby, something that I didn't see as a career, so I started a blog, which at the time was a really kind of hobby-geared sort of pursuit. It was, you know, it wasn't seen as something, you know, that you would do full-time or something you could make money out of. 
so um, I really started my blog on the side. I did it in my lunch hours. I did it after work, on the weekends. Um, but, you know, it was sort of a great time to sort of start doing that because um, it was sort of like that period of time when everyone was wading into digital and, and kind of exploring the platform and exploring blogs and exploring different expressions of fashion and ex uh, different ways of publishing content as well. So, yeah, it was a really kind of exciting and experimental time, I would say, in, in, in let's say, the digital era of fashion. Did you find that people got what it was you were doing or was, did you find there was a lot of resistance to what... Because people didn't know about fashion blogging that much then. There was definitely there was definitely initial resistance and definitely kind of a lack of understanding that kind of went on for a, I think I would say five or six years even I, I, I wouldn't say you know the fashion industry at large has been wholly embracing of, of, of fashion blogging but you know it, it was also really kind of that that's kind of what made it exciting actually. How did you keep going? What made you keep going in the face of that kind of not being recognized? Did you what made you believe in yourself? Well, it's whether you kind of want um, recognition from from the industry. Um, I kind of so my path was a bit weird in that I did end up working in the industry, but at the same time, you know, my focus was really kind of on just creating content, doing the sort of content that I wanted to do, shedding light on young designers, which was uh, which is primarily my main focus. So, yeah, f for me, it didn't really matter about kind of how it was received. Mm. It was more about kind of doing the thing that I wanted to do through the blog. Okay, I know you came to your current career through quite a roundabout route as well. Do you want to tell the audience a bit about what you were doing before you started yeah. your gift making? I was, so I graduated a fine art degree. And um, I'm not an artist, but <laughs> but uh, I um, I ended up I have a lot of friends uh, in music, so I ended up working for a record label, and um, yeah, and then just started to take photographs and make gifts, and people responded really positively to them, and then um, I started contacting people like Cleo, who I who I shot I shot for Crack magazine and saw Cleo's feature in there and said hello and I love your stuff and can I make a gif of it and yeah that kind of was my first steps into say doing fashion and not doing music. And at what point did you decide or realise that you wanted to do something else and how did you find what it was you actually wanted to do? With, from doing art? Yeah. yeah well, sorry. <laughs> I suppose I found, I found the art world quite frustrating and even though it's meant to be super creative, I found it, I was very boxed in because people have expectations of you and what attracted me to gifts is that it's still very new and um, I can do what I want and um, I think that's really exciting and also people are really open to collaborating and like Cleo, you know, letting me experiment and potentially work on some new work together as well, so... Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, autonomy is something that's very appealing to this whole idea of doing it for yourself. Um, I know Ioni, when you started Polyester, that was something that you were quite keen on, would you say, that you had, could have power over your own destiny? I think it was about, one, having... I was studying a fashion journalism degree, and I wasn't in the... My family wasn't in like the economic situation where I could be interning for free once I graduated. 
So I needed to sort of do everything I could to put myself in a position where I would be able to launch straight into industry. And I think in relation to polyester, it was more about me taking control of the artists and the designers I enjoyed looking at and writing a narrative they appreciated because there was a lot of them that felt very boxed in by mainstream or alternative media and treated as clickbait or treated as if their work would be temporary or fleeting. Um, and something that I was quite passionate about is that it wouldn't be and that the work that these people were creating were important. So I decided to make create a platform where they could take control of their own narratives and I could steer that. I suppose. Cleo, how about you? What made you want to be a designer? Um, I'd always wanted to be a designer. I always wanted to have my own label. I didn't see it happening kind of when it did. I saw it happening further down the line. I graduated, so I was at Graduate Fashion Week showing my graduate collection three years ago. Uh, I'd done interning throughout university and when I finished, I started working for suppliers. So it was very different kind of work. It was very useful. I learned a lot that I've brought into my work now. I was still trying to do my own bits on the side, like you were saying, in lunch breaks, after work, etc., trying to maintain the two. Um, and, you know, the more I was trying to do, the more I realised how passionate I was about it and how I really wanted to kind of give it a shot. Um, and yeah, so it was kind of balancing freelance and a day job alongside my own brand and eventually I had to pick one or the other and I thought, yeah, like, let's just try and do this now and yeah, I still freelance a little bit on the side but I've cut down as I'm going along and it's, you know, sort of 90% of my time now is spent on the label. Yeah, I suppose... Um Raising finance or supporting yourself financially is quite a big thing. I know you already mentioned it, but um, how, like with you, Christine, for example, as a designer, how do you go about raising the money to fund your business? Um, yes, that's quite, a, you know, obviously that's quite a key challenge as a young designer kind of trying to start your brand. Actually, my, my story is quite similar to yours, but I graduated quite a few years earlier than you. I'm a bit older than I look as well. Um, yeah, I think for my for myself as well. Sometimes you know the the freelancing side of things that kind of is something that I have to include, you know, when I within my work. So um, I also freelance and do my I, you know my, do my own collections. What kind of, what kind of freelance work is it? Because um, I'm I also worked a lot with um, I, I worked with a supplier for a long time I, with different suppliers for a long time and um, so a lot of the freelance work is just design work that's very commercial. I've done it for many years so I can do it really easily so usually that work is, you know, I've got loads of contacts in that, in that side of things so that work is quite easy and, you know, so that's a little bit kind of like the bread and butter sides that will help fuel my, the, my actual brand and kind of just keep that moving. And just, I mean, things, doing things like my recent collaboration with ASOS and obviously, like, just keeping things like that going, those kind of projects also help kind of finance the, you know, the business side of things. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just like it's the little things, kind of. How do you find those kind build. of things? Like, how did your collaboration with ASOS come about? Um, it was a, how did it come about? So there was a, a, mutual, a mutual friend of the buyer, so someone that I, that I know knew one of the buyers, the collaboration buyers, and they were looking for a print, a print designer that's, that is African and um, has a brand that's kind of already kind of running and 
basically what they were looking for was very, you know, I, as soon as she said they were looking for someone like that, I was like, yeah, I can do that very easily. So, she, yeah, it. she just brought us together and when we started the project, it was very, you know, immediately kind of clicked and we all knew that, okay, this is something really cool. Um, and I just want to talk now a bit about branding, branding yourself. There's a lot of obsession these days with that you have to be your brand um, and you have to build up a really strong profile on social media. Is there something that you guys spend a lot of time thinking about? Yeah, I think so. I think the the importance of branding for me is that it's easier because my brand is so much a part of me and an extension of me, it's easier for me to understand my customer. So when I'm designing a collection, I can think about what I want to wear and how I would wear it and it just does make it that little bit easier. Um, so yeah, I think it's great from that, that point of view and I, I think with social media it's become probably even more important. Do you think you guys both design clothes that are very bright? Does that, do you think that you're thinking either subconsciously or not about social media when you're designing and um, how attractive it's going to be on Instagram? Um, no, <laughs> really, do you, do you, yeah. uh, for me I just love colour so I, I started designing before social media. I mean I started kind of my brand before what? all that so so um, yeah, it, it's obviously it's it's not, it helps to be able to kind of attract, kind of create that imagery where as soon as someone kind of sees that image and it's colourful, it attracts the eye. And yeah, social media is a really like it's an important tool. I definitely definitely believe in it. And the, the whole thing about creating a story and a narrative that's that's personal to you, I think lots of people are attracted to that. So if it's a personal story and it's you know it's authentic, people buy into it. So again, it's, it's, it's just about something. If it's as long as it's personal to you, and it's quite a natural. Yeah, way it's of natural. Doing it I think people kind of see it as you know they just they'll they're attracted to it. It's not like you're not trying to be someone else. I can never be Susie. I can't I can't be you. I can only be myself. So me telling my story, I think people just see that okay, this is authentic and yeah. this is true. This is real. So. That's the only thing I can do. I can't do anything else, really. And are you guys posting to other platforms other than Instagram? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Facebook, um, yeah, Twitter. I, I am on all of them. I would say that Instagram for me it's is the easiest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's visual. Visual, yeah. exactly. And, like, I mean, definitely when I'm working on stuff, like, I'll look at things and be like, oh, that would be really good for Instagram. Like, I do kind of work. True. Like that, like I would see something yeah. like, yeah, that'd be good. I'm I think not always now right, I do too. Yeah, that, now I, I did that too. Like yeah, that. Um, and yeah, just the visual aspect of it, I think, is really, really useful. Obviously, like, I think different social media platforms have like different attributes. Like Twitter, I think, is better for reaching out to people and making contacts. Um, but in terms of showcasing your work as a visual creative person, I think Instagram's really the best. I also think that um, you can kind of think like it, some people might say, "Oh, it's bad that like designers think about how it look on Instagram." But I'm sure, like before Instagram, designers thought about like what stylists would want to lend if they made a certain thing, or like how it will look in a shop. But you don't need a stockist anymore. Instagram puts you like directly in touch with your clients. So, for example, polyester, we don't have that many stockists, but we have a following of 40,000 people, and that's 40,000 people that would probably not see your work in a newsagent's. And it's kind of just an extension of that. If you have a cover of a magazine, you have it as the cover because you want people to look at it and think I want to pick that up I think Instagram is kind of the same sort of thing like it's not this shallow narcissistic platform it's just a new way of doing things 
I would say, though, with you know, in regards to fashion design, you know, this sort of movement towards having um, collections or pieces that are geared towards maybe being more attractive on social media, that's kind of like to the detriment of you know, designers that perhaps are maybe a lot more subtle, you know, their, their, their skills lie in pattern cutting, seams, more kind of very, let's say, quiet aesthetic. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, it's, it's sort of like pros and cons, really, I, but yeah, I think... That for me, with those kind of designers, there's still, kind of way, there's still a way to kind of be, be able to kind of, I don't know, somehow create the imagery. It doesn't have to be at the, about the print or the colours. It, it, it's, it's all about kind of creating the story within the imagery. So even if it is like you can't see the seam detail or you can't see the, ins, you know, the, how it's been made, the construction, there are, there are many designers on social media that you, you, know, you can tell like it's a simple garment, but it just looks luxury. It just looks like it screens because of the way that they presented it. So I think it's all, just all about how it's presented, really, isn't it? Yeah, and weirdly, something like savoir-faire, you know, craftsmanship is something that has actually really kind of exploded through social media, you know, where you have houses like in Paris, like Le Sage, Le Marais, these really amazing embroidery houses that are actually kind of putting themselves out there and having their kind of skills and work being communicated. I think it's, you know, I think it's great for that. What about moving away from social media, actual real, in real life people? Do you guys have a support network, uh, either mentors or people who've helped you out financially, uh, online networks of peer groups, that kind of thing? I mean, I think there isn't like a financial network or I wouldn't, I mean, not a traditional mentor, but Cleo and I have worked together, Cleo and Kate have worked together, like I know Kate's work very well, like I definitely say there's like a sense of strong community amongst young people, that we all help each other, it's not so much about like getting at each other's throats or like trying to one up anyone else, like there's ways we can all help each other to work together, if like money or contacts is short then you build your own contacts from the people that are around you and that will be coming up, you know, coming up or whatever at the same time as you, so I think community is definitely a big um, important thing in what polyester or what I see my work as. I would say that I've done a lot of work for free, <laughs> which, but in a way, that's the stuff that has got me, I would say, the most attention, especially, I'd say the things that launched me was um, doing stuff with Cleo and then also Liam what, can Hodges. Can you explain a bit more about what that was, Kate? Well, that, that was just Cleo. some photos from, when was it? The cat. Yeah, and so I, I approached Cleo and, and she was she just said yeah make some gifts and um and then that kind of opened me up to more of a the fashion side of things seeing my work and then i did some i met cora through azos who was a really big champion cora delaney cora delaney who was incredibly supportive and um really picked me up and then got me involved with working with liam hodges at his lcm show and that was a big platform because Days covered it, and I, yeah, just and I got my first big interview as well in a magazine. So yeah, I think that now I'm now that I'm doing paid work for brands, which is well paid. It's it's sometimes not as creative because they have they're not even though they want you to make gifts, they're not necessarily as open-minded about it sometimes. So it's the free stuff where you can really push the boundaries, do different kinds of work, and yeah, challenge yourself. I completely agree with that because I, I think, you know, you forget that, like, 
when you start off, you kind of do have to sort of do everything for free, and it is you're not really thinking about money as a as a sort of end game, and it becomes. But the the sort of long term rewards that you reap in the end are, are such that through your work that you did for free you can get the attention and build up your calling card and build up your voice and 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 uh, and have that be sort of like your trademark that you can then commercialize and and sell well sell to to brands to whoever who, who are willing to pay for that that's quite interesting because that was, was going to be one of my next questions about how to find your usp so i suppose you've answered that in a way have, have you guys how do you guys think about standing out from everyone else Kate, I know you've obviously got, you're doing something that's different to everyone. Um, I think being confident, I mean, there was a part of me which did, I did honestly doubt if gifts would connect and because not a lot of people were doing them. And I think if you believe in something, you've got to really, you know, be, do it with conviction and, um, and not compare yourself to other people and yeah, and just go for it. Yeah, for me as a designer, obviously there's so many designers out there, and literally like every year there's like floods of like new designers, new voices. It's just being true to yourself, and and um, as Susie was saying, sometimes it's not about caring. It's it's almost about being able to tell your own story, and as long as you're proud of yourself, it's not about caring where that you're getting the attention kind of thing. And again, that I think that's if you are telling the right story and it's something quite different to something that, that people hadn't seen before, they'll be intrigued to kind of want to know more. And hopefully then that just, that just kind of, that's how you build up your, your following and just, yeah, then you set yourself apart from anyone else because no one else can tell your story more than you. What about, um, what do you guys read or listen to for uh, either inspiration or information? Websites, books? The Yoi Kasuma show. So I think going to art galleries is really important. Also gigs, like we were talking about going to see Grimes and um, seeing artists that are kind of doing their own thing as well is really inspiring. And also reading different kinds of publications like Polyester and not just, you know, the ones that are kind of very established. So yeah. And that's what I think that's what's so good about something like Instagram, where that it's it's a real even playing field because regardless of how many followers someone's got, you, if it visually looks engaging, then I'm going to scroll through it more. So, Cleo, what about you in terms of being a designer? Are there more sort of business-minded publications that you read? Um, yeah, like a lot online rather what than online like? publications. Uh, think of any. Uh, what's the fashion business? Yeah, business of fashion. Business of fashion. That's the one. Yeah. That has some really, really good, like almost tutorials of basic steps of you know certain aspects within the business. Uh, so that's really useful. Um, I do go and see a mentor uh, quite regularly, um, who's like a specific fashion business mentor. So that, was that. How was that set up for you? Was that does that was that a friendship? No, that was uh, the British Fashion Council told me about. It's the uh, Small Business Centre. And they have some really, really useful advice to give young designers and young creatives. It's, it's bigger than just fashion. Um, and then also, I mean, the same as what you were saying, working with friends who might have slightly different expertises or, you know, work acquaintances with slightly different expertises 
that's always very useful from the business point of view as well. Yeah, just having a slightly different viewpoint and respecting the fact that, you know, they can, you, you know, I think, I think that does happen a bit, like, respecting the fact that although, you know, like, that they have that different expertise and taking, taking that advice sometimes, not just being like, yeah, I can do it all myself. It's good to like, listen and take that advice. See, the best, the best thing is when you have like a network of people um, collaborating with people that are not just into fashion. Yeah. Like if you have friends that are into accounting, especially like us designers, we don't, you know, creatives, we're not really business minded. Yeah. So if you have friends that, uh, that can give you that input and advice and, you know, yeah. it's, it's great to collaborate with people that are just outside that, you know, the creative industry and just just use them to kind of just help you. Just talking things through yeah, sometimes exactly. is yeah, the yeah, best. Definitely. Like you, you just get a fresh perspective. You go back to your work with a different insight and you just learn so much. It's, I think it's really good to like, as much as it's quite scary, if you're in the middle of working on something, you don't quite feel ready to show anyone. Sometimes it's good just to sit down with, it could be someone completely, like you say, non-related to fashion yeah. and just, just talk things through. Susie, what about you? What kind of publications do you look at on a daily basis from a fashion um, journalist point of view? <laughs> I, actually, I actually don't read a lot of fashion magazines anymore. Oh. It's weird because I've kind of become not not numb but a bit sort of you've become quite kind of jaded of the industry over the years and you kind of see through a lot of the content that you get in in mainstream fashion media i mean there are still publications that i absolutely you know respect adore you know id days um gentlewoman you know they're all amazing publications um, but for me, I, I prefer like things like the New Yorker, the Atlantic Journal. As a writer, you would want to like n learn more about word crafting, and those for me are sort of like the benchmarks for you know good, really good writing. So yeah, and I love things like TED Talks. I'm a pod, yeah, complete like podcast geek. So yeah, I listen to like a lot of like. Sort of, yeah, things that have absolutely nothing to do with fashion, but somehow, you know, will become related down the line because, because you know, because fashion does reflect culture in that way. Okay, cool. And then finally, one more thing I wanted to ask you guys: What do you think it is about London that makes it so great for young creatives? Why do you work here and not in another city? Forming, forming those communities and forming, forming those connections with other creatives. I guess you could argue that with the internet, there's a, but there, there is something about sitting down with someone and discussing ideas that works really well. Um, you, you're surrounded by people that have, have that kind of understanding of what you do in your world and how you have to work um, and the hours and you know working for free and all of those things. You have that sort of instant support network. I think London is just a city where creativity and being different being yourself is very encouraged and very kind of celebrated so just just coming you know from completely you know being a different person and being a, having a different background to the person you're next to doesn't you, you don't feel different like you know you, you feel like you can still be yourself totally be yourself and it's you know it's natural it doesn't you know you're not feeling like you have to blend in and I think that's great so, you know obviously it's, yeah um, I'm, I'm a Londoner, so I do love the city. But I think why I, I've stayed and why I'm creative here is because regardless of what it goes through, whether it's, um, you know, after the war, it was smashed up, you had, like, punk come out of it, and now, even though 
the city's being gentrified and it's really expensive, people are still creative, people are still out painting their faces, making clothes, partying, and that's just, I think, the main source of it. It's really exciting. And really inspiring. Inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. That's great. Um, I think we've got time for a few questions now. So if anybody wants to ask anything from our panellists. Thank you. Hello. Um, so my question is for the designers and Kate. Is it um, often that you feel like your capabilities and your skills are behind your ideas, if that makes sense? Like you have ideas, but things aren't quite coming out as you want them to or quite as well as you want them to. Does that still happen? And what do you do? My favourite things that I've made have been mistakes. And I think that's something... Yeah, I probably learned in art school that, you know, you're in a, a white room and, you know, with, left to your own devices. And so, you know, you have an idea, especially working with a brand as well, things can be quite fixed. And sometimes, if, you know, something just amazing happens and you just go with it and it works better than yeah. the idea that you had. So, yeah, it's important to be open-minded to those things. And I that's what makes never, it you never really, like when, Whatever idea you originally have, yeah. never ever ends up... You I know, suppose it never turns out how you originally thought. And if you make what you, exa- what you envisioned, yeah. it's kind of boring. Yeah. So it is, it is. It's the, de- the development that's actually more exciting. Yeah. So you start with an idea and you think, yeah, that's definitely it. And then once you start developing it and you're like, oh, this is, wow, like even you're surprised. So you can like stand away from it and be surprised yourself and be interested. So that's the developing for me is more exciting than just like, you know, having that one idea and then just doing it, exploring. I think it's good to add in elements as well. Like for instance, I did a probably the maddest shoot that I've ever done with a guy called Candy Ken. Don't know if you've heard of him. Um, he spends most of the time in his pants and uh, he's very colourful and pink hair and grills. And I brought a few props and I wasn't sure whether they wanted to use them. And he just did some amazing stuff with them and I had no idea what it was going to come out as. But to throw things, be willing to throw things into the mix is really important. So, yeah. Any more questions? Hi, this is a question for Chloe. Oh, Cleo, sorry. (laughs) Um, I heard you say that you are going into London Fashion Week. I just wanted to ask about what was the process of getting into London Fashion Week? Uh, So for London Fashion Week, there's kind of the difference of showing on schedule and off schedule. And so up until this point, I've been showing off schedule. And with that, like, you don't have to apply for you know for like you you could just do it on on your own that would be pretty difficult um so you know you you find your own location i do work with a pr company on that who help with the invitations and stuff like that but you can do them via email like there are ways i guess each time you look at what you have available to you and you just try and make it work so for example invitations can be a huge cost Invitations are a lovely thing to send out, but if you can't, you can do it via email. So it's all of those things of just kind of looking at what you've got, trying to make it work and doing the best you can with it. Um, And, yeah, it gets easier every time. The first one was, like, the most terrifying experience of my life. Um, And, yeah, by the second one, you kind of have... It's constantly changing, but at the same time, it's just getting your head around all of the processes. It's quite a new thing. Uh, when I first started, but yeah, getting that. <laughs> I feel like design, young designers are often really, really super fixated with getting onto Fashion Week or showing at Fashion Week, which is like 
a four-day window of time. Um, you know, to be honest, like, Ed, if you want, like, people's attention, you can, like, show out of schedule. You can show, like, any time. You can, like, launch your lookbook online. You can do so many different things now that I don't necessarily think, like, trying to funnel all your resources, and it's a lot of money as well, towards showing at Fashion Week is um, necessarily the best use of you know, resources. I, th you know, I think there are just so, so many more opportunities now and it's so much more fluid than it, than it used to be. I mean, thinking about that, I mean, it took me a good sort of, probably a year and a half before I did start doing Fashion Week as well. And I think there is quite a pressure, maybe it's changing now, you know, start, start your own brand, go straight for Fashion Week. And doing that without knowing how it works and with, with the financial constraints as well is quite a big risk to do. I don't know if it, you know, it's not fail-proof, but the way I did it was try and build slowly, put lookbooks online, make small collections, try and build quite slowly till I felt that I got to a stage where maybe I can start doing this and start, yeah, showing at Fashion Week after that point. Okay. We do one more question over there. My question's Fioni. Um, as a journalist, I've just finished doing my third year. How do you go about and what's the process of getting funding to do and sponsorships to get your magazine out there? Because it's obviously quite expensive. So just wondering about that, the process and things. Um, well, I don't... Polyester is unfunded. <laughs> we have no sponsorship, so I... I don't really have like a clear answer for your question. Um, we're lucky that since the first issue, Polyester has run itself. We keep costs to like an absolute minimum. We will shoot, like I was just saying to my friend before this, I will shoot uh, an editorial at my friend's like office that is about to get knocked down. So we have the studio space for free. Like keep some students as friends so you can borrow lights like or keep close with your course tutors so you can like pull in favors in that way um starting a publication it it is difficult but i wouldn't say it's this huge it can be lots and lots of money but we have like a very very cheap printer which i spent two days researching and negotiating prices with like we self-distribute which means we're not giving a cut to anyone else. We built the social media presence up a few months before we launched the first issue. So there was already a certain amount of interest there. So you don't have, you're not like putting something out into the world and not seeing it happen. Like we throw launch parties because people come and they buy the zine and they engage with it in that way. We throw like panel discussions like this to open it up as more than just something you will see on a shelf and more of like a community. And so even though I don't ever stand to make like big money from polyester or make it my full-time job it runs itself over in a very nice way where I can still keep it exactly how I want it without any influence from like advertisers or I'm not against doing sponsored content or anything like that but it's just not easy to do so I'd rather keep polyester how it is and freelance and like go on certain commercial projects like I did a commercial project with the BFI last year and that helped fund polyester a bit so I think there's like other ways to make money and events have really been like a big part of that like events and just keeping costs like absolutely down as much as you can like we're on the fourth issue now planning the fifth and the fifth time is the first time I've ever been able to give everyone money who has done something from polyester like it's not like payment but as in money to get a studio if they're not in London and that's a really nice feeling but it's just as your audience grows our profit margin grows because we get it solely from our print sales 
Sorry if it wasn't a good answer. <laughs> that was a very good answer, and that's a good note to end on. So um, thank you to our panellists, Kate Bones, Cleo Pepiat, Ioni Gamble, Christine Mando, and Susie Bubble. I'm Danielle Radoichin. Thank you very much for coming. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 